The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for the 2016th January Leaders Retreat with Stephen Lutz, who ministers at Penn State, and Eric Lonigan. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.com. So with that, we uh, thought we could continue the conversation with some uh, questions and answers. And I know that sometimes in a larger group setting, it can be kind of intimidating to uh, ask a question. So I thought I would, I would uh, kind of prompt us with a question. And uh, if we continue to get crickets, I'll continue to ask questions. Uh, but, but start thinking of some questions just off the material that Steve said. And I, I would imagine anything else that they might feel like they want answers about or they have questions P- picks about. Picks for the conference championship games. I mean, whatever. There yeah. you go. Oscar picks. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So um, one of the things that I was really helped by uh, in your talk was the idea that Jesus, you know, he bore, obviously he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, mm-hmm. but connecting that with, those that he was around, I never have really thought about the fact that they experienced shame, right? Obviously, yeah. uh, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes yeah. were outcasts, but I, I think I've always thought more in the realm of Jesus is compelled by compassion to be around them, and so they're recipients of his compassion, and therefore, of course, they'd want to be in his presence. Yeah. But you, you kind of en- enlightened me there that it's like he went a step beyond that and actually he was himself an outcast mm-hmm. and, and was unashamed in, in that, but it right. therefore identifying with them. And I'm just curious, you know, we got students in here who I think as a student, if I'm in your minds right now, okay, I'm thinking a lot of times we, we kind of blow things up to these huge proportions like, okay, so that means – I mean, because writing a newsletter or a, an opinion for a, for a newsletter, yeah. a newspaper that's newspaper, going to yeah. the, the entire – that's a pretty big deal. And I'm, one, I'm like, I don't – anyone in here have that kind of role? So, so there's potential you could <laughs> express your opinion there and have your face planted on the newspaper? Nice. It's online. Online. <laughs> so, so there's few, but sometimes it, it, it feels like it's – really significant and that's pretty radical which mm-hmm. is an awesome I, I love that illustration I'm wondering if, if there's any other kind of things you, you, you either have experienced along those lines or seen students experience where it's like yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna take on some shame here by identifying with Jesus but also in doing so maybe um, identifying with the shame that the sinner might feel yeah um I think, you know, part of part of one of the, you know what God wants to do in us is to help us understand ourselves and our own journey more. And so, I believe, just because we live in a fallen world, each one of us doesn't really have that far to look to see some of those those pain points, those things that give us shame somewhere somehow. So, uh, more obvious stuff is is uh, folks who struggle with substance abuse, you know, like I mentioned with Eric. Um, and if so for some people, if, if that's part of your story, you know, that's something that you have in common. Um, 
Other people, it's having suffered from abuse. Or maybe, maybe you know, your, your parents splitting up at some point was a really painful thing. Um, I don't think you have to have experienced the same exact thing that somebody else has to minister to them. But to understand kind of what that shame, what that guilt feels like underneath that, I think is, and to understand like how the gospel meets that, empowers us to reach out to people from all kinds of experiences. And, and to name it and to be able to tell your own story in such a way that they have something to grab onto. Um, and so I, I think uh, to, to understand our own story well enough that we see how, what has Jesus done, what has Jesus brought to bear on that, that then when I share my story, other people can see Jesus in me and in my story. I think that's incredibly helpful. And I, lately, just what God's been doing in my life has been bringing that to bear more and more. And, and so what he just did there was, I think, double-click on, I think the phrase, the pithy kind of phrase was, what God is doing in you, he will also do through you. Do you guys remember he said that? That's what that's talking about. Like, if you talk about salvation all the time as a testimony that was like 10 years ago, I said this right. prayer, and it was yeah. like this, and, and it was amazing, but I'm all better now. <laughs> yeah. Jesus I've arrived. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, Jesus isn't that appealing. But if, if you're talking about how he's meeting you right now, because mm-hmm. salvation, it starts when you first trust in him, but it's an ongoing process. Yeah. And, and that ongoing process is really what's appealing to people. So as you understand grace meeting you in the here and now, and we'll probably double-click on that tomorrow, but I, I just think that's a really significant thing yeah. um, and really helpful. Here, can, I, can I share just an example yeah, yeah. that I think most of us can probably relate to? Um, is just what being online all the time is doing to us, what social media is doing to us. Uh, so Christianity Today had a story a couple months ago about how online culture is making us more ashamed than we have ever been. Did anybody come across that? It was really interesting. Just basically saying, you know what? Um, When you see everybody putting their projection of their perfect lives online, uh, and and then you're playing the comparison game, boy, nothing feeds shame like playing the comparison game. Because then you feel like, well, man, here's another person I don't measure up to. Here's another awesome experience I'm not having. Right? Here's another person who has the perfect boyfriend or girlfriend that I don't have. And we just do all this comparing, 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 and then we just feel this intense shame inside of us. And so, you know, you recognize that, you see that, you maybe even see what some of the triggers are. By the way, people are saying the less time you spend on Facebook, the less likely you are to be depressed. Just throwing that out there. And, and that's a very simple thing that a lot of us can relate to and just say, hey, you know what? I, I used to play the comparison game a lot. It really left me feeling crappy about myself. And now I see what the, you know, what the gospel says about me is way better and way more important than what Facebook says about me. And that's, what I'm, that's where I'm putting my... Like, that's, just, that's a pretty simple way to get to Jesus because a lot of people can relate to this sense of, yeah, I played the p- comparison game and I have a lot of self-loathing because of it. And if we've experienced some freedom from that, that's a powerful thing. So. That's good. Is, there, is this prompting any other thoughts? It doesn't have to be, obviously, right in this vein, but is there any questions that you guys have based on some of this stuff or anything else that Steve has shared? Go ahead. All right, so this is a turn in a different direction. You've got this M4 category. 
Yeah. Pretty hostile, kind of hard to talk to. Yeah. How'd you go about that? Being a minister of gospel and God's truth, someone who's just downright hostile. Yeah. Um, Got to pray some armor of God uh, and pray for fruit of the Spirit that I be especially patient and gentle. So, you know, Peter says, always be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. And so for a few years, a big part of my ministry was actually hanging out with um, most of the members of the Atheist Agnostic Association at Penn State. And we would have a, we, I called it the Sojourn Forum for Questioning Faith and Doubt. And this was at the height of the new atheist things, so Hitchens and Sam Harris and all those cats. And so this was like very, and they were very vocal, the group at Penn State. And so we would hang out in this coffee shop and talk about belief and unbelief. And these guys were really sharp. They knew the Bible better than my Christian students. Uh, and, and they had all the arguments down pat. against. And they were, uh, they were vigorously hostile. So here's, here's interestingly what I found. If I thought they were mean to me, that was nothing compared to how mean they were to each other. So some some of these groups that are harshest and most hostile, they don't. The hostility is not only towards the outsiders; it's often to each other. So you know what the most effective thing we did? I mean, we would hang out for an hour and a half. We would have these wild, free-ranging debates all over the place, sometimes with raised voices. Uh, all of it like pretty interesting, often usually intense. Sometimes I felt like I got an MDiv, and I still don't feel like I handled that all that well. You know. It was, it was just like, it was intense. And the best thing that we did, one is like, I wasn't trying to have like crush the atheist every week. That, that wasn't our MO. Our MO was like, we're going to actually try to have a civil conversation. But the best thing that we did, and where I had them coming to me and saying, please don't cancel this, we love it, is because we would go out afterwards and hang out and get some food at a diner. And I realized what they valued and what led them to like call me up years later and say, hey, I'm in town, can we hang out, was the fact that they actually felt loved and befriended by me in a way that they didn't feel from their peers. And, so, and, they, and they actually they were treating me like a campus minister, like, hey, I'm, I'm about to graduate and I'm thinking about doing this or this. What do you think? I mean, they, I, I became their campus minister. They, they, in some cases, you know, some cases, they moved from here to here, you know, or here to here. And that was pretty exciting. Um, in some cases, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell what happened. But the best thing I did was, like, hang in there. A lot of it, a lot of it was like this. This was their MO. Like, I hate you. You're the worst. I despise everything you believe. Please love me and be my friend. <laughs> and so I, I think... So, you know, you're talking to, uh, to maybe a, like a, a very devout Muslim who who's, looks at you with huge, great suspicion. Or you're talking to a militant atheist or something like that. And I'll just say, like, hang in there and keep loving them. And don't be put off by how strong they come, they come on with their arguments. Because they're looking to see if you run away. I mean, they will often lead with maybe their, their most hostile their most hostile argument just to see if you run the other way or if you respond in kind. So, does that, does that help? Good. What other questions? 
And what about moving down the path? Yeah. Our ministry is a little, we sometimes get set on like, you know, conversions or like, yeah. or you disciple people, build them up to disciple others. Yeah. How do you, how can you instill in us a little more contentment with just moving people down the line yeah. of, um, maybe repeat my question, but moving people down the line and being content with what God has us to do in the moments with people who are very far from him yeah. um, on this missional scale. How can we yeah. embrace what God's doing and not just like be depressed all the time when there aren't like yeah. convergence within four years? Yeah, yeah. So, so just to repeat in case you didn't hear it, so, so if, if, we're, if we just really want to see conversions and making people disciples, how can we be content if we don't get to see them cross the line, but actually our work is more like moving them down here? And even then we may not be sure. Um, talked about this a little bit last night with, with some of the staff. Uh, I think we have to remember that this is, if the kingdom of heaven, if the kingdom of God is like a field, and Jesus is the master, and he's the one who planted the seed. Okay, we're, we're just servants in that field. And it's up to God, and he's sovereign. And so we're faithful to the people and the places that he's called us to. But we are not, we are not God. Right? So in his timing and in his way, he, he will bring those people to himself. Like, thank God I'm a Calvinist, right? We can, we can trust him and his timing with these folks. And I just want to be faithful. To, to that. And so I think that that helps. I mean, of course, we have this, this huge desire to see people come to know Christ. But we also know that God often does that in a team. And he does that in a process. And, you know, the days, and this is why I, I talk so much about the culture stuff. Because, listen, Billy Graham could just clean up here. He didn't have to explain so much. He didn't have to persuade people about so as much as is back here. You know, there was just much more agreement that brought people closer. And so if this is like a football field, you know, what, what do you need? You're at, you're at the goal line here. You just need like the two tight ends set with the fullback leading the way, and you can punch that in. But back here, like we got to go, we got to go 80 yards. And sometimes you don't get there in the two-minute drill. You know, college is like the two-minute drill, and, you, you know, it takes a little longer. But so... Don't despair when you've moved it down the field and then it's somebody else's turn to take over. So we've got to trust God and his sovereignty and just realize for some people it's much more of a process. You know, I think we could say, this is a much more extreme example, but you guys know uh, if, if you've ever talked to somebody who's been a, a missionary in, say, a Muslim setting, and man, you know, like they would kill for some of the, not kill, that's wrong, they, they would love to see some of the results that, that you guys get to see on your campus. Because they might go years before they, they see a, a convert. But does that mean it was in vain? No. So, so God knows what he's doing. And we just got to trust him and his timing and his process. Because at the proper time, there will be a harvest. Good question. Who else? Yeah. This is kind of similar to the M4 question. Okay. Um, kind of. How, what are some some specific ways that you can, I don't know, minister outreach. You talked about to, like, clubs and organizations. Like, what are some specific, like, thoughts to have in mind while doing that? Or, like, mm. larger goals and also, like, specific, like, little things mm-hmm. you can do? Because you talked about the, like, Jesus hot dogs and stuff for the party scene. Yeah. And just, like, things you can do for that. Yeah. 
Great idea. I, I think, so if I'm an individual entering a club, first of all, I don't want to do that alone either. Right? So I'd say go with at least one other person. Then you got a wingman. Right? And together, you're saying, how can we reach the crocheting snowboard club? Um, I really want that to be a club now. <laughs> but together we do that. And then and what that does is, you know what, it, it delivers you from some of that, like, I'm, I'm the Jesus of this club, I need to save them. Right? That's not true at all. But when you're alone, you can start to feel like that, get a little Messiah complex. Also, it allows you to, like, compare notes, like, hey, where do you think Jenny's at? You know, is, do you think Jenny, is she interested in spiritual things? Or did you have, a, yeah, I had a great conversation with Jenny. Oh, wow, because I, I didn't, I never, I didn't see that. But, you know, and then, and then you can pray with your, your wingman about that. So, so I think on, a, on an individual level, don't do it alone and, and bathe that thing in prayer. And just start by just thinking about a few people that you can befriend and build some relationships with. The other thing I would do uh, on, a, on a larger level, we've had some great success reaching out to clubs. Our church does a lot of stuff in the community, community service. I'm sure Bethlehem does too. And so some t- there's a lot of clubs that are looking to do some kind of community service, right? Like they're like, well, we should just do that. Or maybe they have to do it for some kind of bylaws or whatever. You know what? This is a, this is a potential wonderful match. Because here the church is often aware of tons and tons of needs, more needs than we can possibly meet. And then here's these clubs over here, and they're looking for some kind of service project. So we get to be a matchmaker, and then we say, hey, we're doing a service project at XYZ on Saturday. You guys want to come with? Bring your club? Yeah, sure. And now we're doing, now we're doing outreach in the form of withreach. And shoulder to shoulder, we serve with them, and then the natural question is, why are you here? And, oh, I'm with my church. Why are you here? Oh, I'm with Kappa Delta Tau or whatever, right? And then, and then, and then you just get talking. Why are we here? Why, what brings you out here? How, how long have you been doing this? I, this is my first time. Oh, I've been doing it for three years. Why is that? Because I love Jesus, right? And now you're talking, and that builds bridges. And uh, th- so something like service, I think, can often be a real slam dunk in terms of uh, getting them more connected. Is that helpful? Good, good. What else? Here. I have a question kind of going off from that. Yeah. I think one thing that at least I've experienced is when you go to places or when you go to clubs, the moment that I identify with Jesus, it's yeah. like everyone's suspicions and walls go up. Uh-huh. And like I immediately lose relevance or lose any sort of connection. Like I immediately become outdated to them. Okay. So how would you like into the balance of like I want to be bold and identify with Christ because that's like the only reason I'm there <laughs> but I also like I want but is it the only reason you're there not always <laughs> I mean you like are first interested right in things so yeah. how do you balance those things how do you show personal interest without like shutting them off yeah um I think I would say let's not make that the only reason they're you're there, right? So, so you, you go to this club or this organization. Hopefully, there's a genuine interest. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of this is a, is a wisdom issue of knowing the context that you're in. And, um, you know, we we've been in we've been in some settings where sometimes you know, the people there are very hostile, but they they man, they just respect you for showing up and identifying as a Christian. Um, in fact, I think like the more hostile, sometimes the more the more open they are to you, because you're like, wow, okay, respect. Come to 
come to the atheist club and you identify as a Christian, that's cool. So I, I, th- I think there's different, you, you just got to have wisdom to read that situation. And I would say if, if that's the sense you're getting, um, you never want to be ashamed of the gospel. You never want to feel like I'm, I'm going to hide my light under the, the bushel, right? But to think about how could I, how could I strategically share that in the way that, that makes the most sense in this relationship? So that might, you know, that might mean uh, you don't wear the Christian T-shirt on the first night, right? Um, you wear that thing strategically. So I, I think some of that is, is just knowing knowing the context that you're in and asking the Lord to guide it because you might you might mess up, you might, or they might figure it out because they friend you and then they see, wow, this person quotes Bible verses on their wall every day. Guess they're one of those Jesus weirdos. Okay, I'll own it. You know, and then you say, hey, listen, um, I don't know, sometimes I like to turn that back and say, why does that have to be a conversation ender? Like, everybody has beliefs, and, and these are mine, and I think if you get to know me, um, probably different, but I'm friends with a lot of people who are stranger than you, so why can't we be friends? <laughs> That's how I would do it. <laughs> Over here. Uh what does it look like to be faithful to someone when it doesn't seem like they're moving on the chart? It's like, hey, yeah. uh, they've been at M3 or whatever for a long period of time. Yeah. It's exciting when people are like moving that way. So what is it to be faithful to them? But also, like, I'm looking for people who are like looking for the cross and more open to change. So what does that look like to be faithful yeah. to them? Yeah. your time? That's, that's a great question. I don't know if there's an easy answer to that. I mean, I met with Eric for two and a half years before he before he came to faith and at times there were large chunks of time where i wondered like is anything happening here um i i think deciding whether to stick with somebody or not a lot of times has come down to just prayer and i'm sorry if this sounds subjective but do i do i have the sense that spirit is releasing me on this person or not with eric i just felt like i i'm sticking with that guy i can't let that guy go i don't think i don't think my role in his life is done yet and i'm i'm sure i haven't been infallible in my judgment on making because i have other people i've said well i think that's come to an end and uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pursue them i do think i do think i'm looking for some initiative on their end and if they, even if I'm not necessarily seeing some clear objective movement on the continuum, if they still want to meet with me, and if they still do some of the initiating, this is talking about like after a while, right? I mean, up front, I expect to do most of the initiating. But if we've been meeting for a semester, and they still want to meet, and we're opening a Bible, and we're talking about stuff, and we're actually having good conversations, even if I don't see something clear and objective, I'm going to trust that the Word of God is doing its work and that God is still doing something. And even if I can't see it, there's something there that I want to, that I don't want to uh, leave behind. And so that's, that's not a super specific answer um, because I don't think it's a clear-cut thing. But I, I, I think, hey, when, when in doubt, like get, some, get some counsel and certainly pray about it. It's a good question. Yes, right, right behind, yeah. Uh, I'd like to know um, 
how do I begin to reach out to students who has never even um, heard of Christ? Yeah. He doesn't know even his religion, but he's, he's, very, he's ready to, to change. How do we begin to change? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great opportunity. That, that is super fun. When, when you get to really start at the beginning and you don't have the, the misconceptions there, um, I, don't, I, I, I think the best way to do that is to just let the Gospels tell the story. And I would say, hey, could I, could I share with you what has been hugely powerful, impactful to me? And can, can we read this together and just take them through one of the Gospels? I think that's what I would do and just let, let Jesus tell the story. Uh, you know, in, in his own words. And then you're going to have to stop a lot and explain a lot along the way. But, um, you know, for, for years people recommend John for that. John, John is great for that. Uh, what, maybe, maybe whatever your favorite gospel is for that. I, that's, that's where I would start. I've also, I've also done a lot with Ephesians. Sometimes I start with Ephesians because there's so much rich stuff there. And... Uh, but I would just go straight to the Word and just and spend that time with them. So that's not a rocket science answer, but yeah. Let's do let's do one more question right here. So I was thinking, like specifically in the context of like going to is there ever a time where that's like super foolish? Because I was thinking about like FEU, who are the like least likely people to come to the Lord? And I was like, ooh, like the LGBTQ like club and like maybe like pro choice club. Yeah. So, like, believing that the Lord can still, like, transform the sacrifice? Yeah, that, in, in, a, in a, yeah, yeah, the, the question is, is it ever foolish to try to join, you know, be part of one of these clubs where their MO is overtly against what you believe, you know, and, and, and you expect the reception there to be so hostile that it's not going to bear much fruit? Is that is that pretty fair summary? Um, so, and you cited LGBTQ or or pro-choice. Here's how, here's how my me and some of my students have approached that. Um, one of my one of my students is was a Christian who wanted he had a heart for Muslims. In fact, like he is going into ministry to Muslims. And as an undergrad, he said, "I, I just want to I, I need to get to know these folks better." So he started taking Arabic, and then he started going to the MSA meetings. And he was the only Anglo in the room. And of course, everybody's looking at him like, what is your deal, dude? <laughs> and it was obvious, like, this is not going to be a regular thing for him. But do you know what happened? Like that first night, the president of the MSA said, Let, let's meet up for coffee. And then, then they met and they had a great meeting. Actually, the first question was, what's your problem with the Quran?" It's a good thing he had, he was always he was ready to give the reason for the hope they had he was ready to have that conversation but so sometimes if you're if you're in that setting that can be a powerful thing because you're saying you're, here's what you say you say you know what I realized um, yeah, my, yeah my convictions are, are different from what's expressed here but I think it's really important to listen and to understand where people are coming from so that I'm not just dealing with caricatures and abstractions. But, you know, real people. And so 
I was just hoping to come here and meet a couple people that I could have a further dialogue with. And so maybe in that, the setting of that club is not where that dialogue happens, but maybe you meet one or two people that you can have more of a, of a dialogue with. And you pray, like, Lord, just, just give me one person I can have a conversation with. You know, one person I can exchange numbers and go get coffee with. And I think that can be a powerful thing when they're like, wow, the Christian who comes to the Atheist Club or the Christian who comes to the LGBT and they didn't run away scared, but they actually came because they wanted to listen. And it takes away their whole thing, like Christians never want to listen to us. So I think that can actually be a great thing. Yep. All right. Why don't we thank Steve again. Um, I, uh, I felt very helped by tonight, and I think uh, just by all the questions and rapid-fire questions that we continuously had, I, I think you guys felt helped as well. Um, is there any specific way that we can be praying for you as you head back to State College? What, what's the name of your church? Calvary Church. Calvary. Yeah. You can pray that I get back to State College. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell them what you got to do. So Plan D, I think we're on now. Um, because all my airports have been closed. I think t- tomorrow I'm flying out from here to O'Hare to Columbus, Ohio. Boo. Ohio State stinks. And uh, who, who's your rival at the U? Wisconsin? Gosh, I hate them too. Man. Hey, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm sorry for you. Uh, <laughs> you said you hate them. <laughs> I have a whole elaborate justification like hate in the sports sense, okay. not in the... Biblical sense. We won't go so, there. Yeah, we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> I dislike them intensely. Um, also, Ohio State and Michigan. So anyway, and then I'm, I'm going to drive home from Columbus to State College. So that's going to be about a six-hour drive So rest. in good conditions. We can be praying for so, rest. Your, your flight's yes. at 6 a.m. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything we can pray specifically for Calvary? Yeah, pray, pray for our mission to the campus. I mean... Hey, so we, if we have 400 students, that's still only 1% of the campus. So there's a lot more people who need Jesus. So please please be praying. We're strategically located in a theater right across the street from the campus. So they're, they're right there. Uh, we just want to reach more of them. Okay. Well, why don't uh, you guys bow your heads with me. I'll pray, and then we're going to have um, a couple last announcements. Father, uh, we thank you for... Um, Steve, we thank you for his ministry to us, and I think it's just clear that that you've done a work in him, and you're doing it through him, and you've done that uh, among us tonight, and so we're we're grateful for the work that you've done. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he has saved us, that all of us, um, we can draw it up on a... uh, an outline, uh, a, a diagram, but it doesn't do it justice that uh, every single sin against you is infinitely heinous, deserving of hell. But Jesus Christ stepped into um, our place, and he drank the cup all the way down. He drank the cup of wrath on our behalf, and uh, that's good news for us. And so let that fuel ministry, let that fuel um, our sharing of this good news with other people. And I pray that it would fuel Steve's ministry at State College among college students, that it would fuel um, many, many, many Penn State students getting reached with that same news. I pray you'd use him and his staff 
to proclaim the gospel on the campus, that you would embolden them, that you would strengthen them, and you'd continue to do a profound work that you've already started there. I pray for safe travels, Lord. Uh, it, it, it's, there's just, I mean, plan D. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of trust that we impart to you, and I just ask that you take care of him in that way. Um, just give him energy as he drives that, that six hours, I pray. Um, I ask that you would be with his family. I pray that you would comfort his wife and, and three children and um, that you would continue to provide in profound ways. I know not everyone in here has gotten to understand exactly where he's coming from in that way, but, Lord, we, we're grateful that you comfort those who who suffer and need comfort. And thank you that you, that's the kind of God that you are, and I pray that you provide a profound sense of that so that as he enters back into the home, it would be an easy reentry, that he'd be able to be with his family um, and love on them and have energy to initiate and take on responsibility there, and his uh, family would warmly welcome him in that way. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.com.